You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he, he in us. He has given us of his spirit and we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have to come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. In this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also we in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. This is the word of God. Thank you, Nora. All right, did you get the big idea there? What's the one word that was repeated like a thousand times in that passage? Say again. Love. 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 John was one of Jesus' um, best friends. And uh, in his own gospel, he refers to himself as the one who Jesus loved. And uh, love profoundly changed John's life. Uh, He's the only disciple who lived to an old age. Uh, All the other disciples were killed in gruesome ways for being followers of Jesus. But John, God spared John's life. And via church history, not in scripture, but church history tells us that he lived to a very old age, pastoring uh, a small group of believers in the first century. And uh, apparently by his life's end, all he would do would be to go around like carried by people because he got that old. He... He um, and spent so much time praying. It said that his kind of his knees were worn out, and so he just got carried around. And he would just say over and over again to the to the Christians, um, "Beloved, love one another. Beloved, love one another." He just had that one message 
He just wanted them to love one another because as one of Jesus' best friends, he knew that that was the central message of Jesus' own ministry. And Jesus' whole burden in his teaching, as we saw throughout this year, as we preached through and, and, and learned through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was more interested in what was going on inside of his people's hearts than what they were doing externally. Uh, to, to apply it to us this morning, Jesus is more interested in the condition of your heart towards him and one another than whether you're here on time or whether you turn up every Christmas and Christmas Eve and tick all of those boxes. And so that's why that passage from John is all about love, genuine love, love that produces transformation within and actions without. And that's one of the reasons that I really appreciate my wife, Renee, because... um, because I, I not only trust her to run everything in our household, keep everything ticking over, you know, keep the kids on track with school, like she juggles a thousand different things constantly, but the thing I appreciate most about her is that more important than any of those details, it to her is um, through day-to-day, even through mundane things, shaping our kids' hearts. Shaping our kids' hearts to be like Jesus. Because we believe in our house that Jesus was the perfect human being, the ultimate human being, the, the representation of God to us. And that's what we want for ourselves, that's what we want for our kids. So, this morning, the first present that was opened at our place um, by Renee's um, choosing was this little box of conversation cards put together by Baptist World Aid, who we're big fans of in our household. And they're a bunch of cards that are kind of just conversation starters. And the first one that we read together as a family, and, and, and Renee's purpose in this was just to kind of shape our whole perspective as we're going to open a bunch of presents and, and, and in case, you know, to, to kind of guard against that becoming the main thing about the day is, you know, the accumulation of goods, she, she gave us these cards to think about and to read through. So the first one was, what do we mean when we say we are blessed? Do we really mean comfortable? Like, oh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Can someone living in poverty be or feel blessed. We had a chat about that. We came to the conclusion that even people waking up today who didn't have piles of presents to unwrap or piles of chocolates to eat or plates and plates of food to get through, even people with nothing could be blessed because blessing goes beyond just material things. Blessing comes from God and it comes to all people. That's kind of one of the major themes of Christmas, right? God's blessing is for all people, irrespective of circumstances. Let me, let me just give it to you from the narrative around Christmas. If you look at Luke chapter 2, you have that classic scene that all of us know. Uh, Mary and Joseph have have made their way 150 kilometers from Nazareth in the north down to Bethlehem in the south. 
uh, and then Luke picks up the narrative. He says, in the same region around Bethlehem, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then what happens? Next verse. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today, in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. So, what are the three things the angel tells them about what's going on on this Christmas morning? He says that his good news is of great joy and it's for all people. Good news, great joy, all people. So the question about whether someone can be blessed and put it in the immediate context, can someone be blessed on Christmas irrespective of how many presents they get, how many people are around them who love them, how much food is on their table, the reason that all people can say this morning, Christmas time, I am blessed is because this good news of great joy is for all people. Now, you might be tempted to think, well, maybe, maybe the angel of the Lord, what, what he meant was it's for all kinds of people. Maybe all cultures or all races or all genders or whatever. Can it really be, can, can he really mean this is for all people, like the bad people, the unlovable people, the annoying people, that family member that you're not looking forward to seeing next to around lunch today? Can it really be for all people? Does he mean that it's for deserving people? Good news, great joy for deserving people. That would make more sense, right? In our economy, the way that we relate to one another, that would make more sense. That's why in the Santa story, that's how we tell it. That's the economy of Santa, right? Naughty, nice, presents, coal. That's how things work according to human economies. That's how we interact. When we write the story, the Santa story, for example, that's how we work it out. Blessings from jolly Santa come to nice people. We were driving around the other night looking at the, some Christmas lights and... Uh, and, and, and I, was, I was saying to the kids, you know, this is great, but I feel, I feel torn because it looks so beautiful and Christmas is worth celebrating, but like how, like how much coal are we burning to power all of these lights? I'd, I don't feel good about how much pollution we're putting into the atmosphere just to power these displays. And Judah was like, it's all right, we'll just take the coal that Santa is giving and then we'll burn that and, you know, we won't have to use any extra coal. That's the, that's the human economy. That's how we relate to one another. You're good to me, I'll be good to you. You're nice and deserving, you'll get good things. That's how karma works, right? In the popular understanding. Do good stuff and good stuff will come around to you. That's not the Christmas message. The Christmas message is way more scandalous. 
The scandalous Christmas message is that good news of great joy comes to all people irrespective of how deserving they are. And there's a reason in the, in, in, in the way that God has set this whole thing up on Christmas morning, there's a reason that the angels come to shepherds. Because, you know, our understanding is that shepherds are cute little kids wearing towels on their heads and singing songs to Jesus, but that's not, that's not who shepherds were in the first century. That's not the shepherds that Luke knew as he wrote this. Shepherds were outcasts. They were, you would end up being a shepherd if you, if you had been shunned from society. It's an out there job. You stay out there, you work the fields. The good people work in cities and, and, and you know, have emotional intelligence and know how to treat one another and show hospitality. Shepherds are out there. They're on the outer. And so the fact that God shows up to the shepherds is just like something God would do. He's trying to make a point. This news, this good news of great joy is for all people, even shepherds, is what he's saying. Even you, if you're here this morning or or joining us online and you are, by your own admission, an outcast, there's not going to be a whole bunch of people gathered around your table today. Nobody sent you a Christmas card this year. As far as the world works, as far as Santa works, you're getting nothing. You don't deserve anything. And yet, in God's economy, it's good news of great joy for all people. The central message of Christmas is that God loves even the unlovable. The central message of Christmas is actually not about family, as good as family is. It's not even about being generous to others, as good as that is. The central message of Christmas is not that we love God or anyone else, but that He loved us. You heard that in the reading today. It's God's initiative, it's God's grace, and it's for all people. Christmas is proof that God loves us. Let me give you two scriptures again from John, from that great friend of Jesus. You heard this one already? Let me just read verse 9. How does God prove that he loves us? God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world, that's Christmas, so that we might live through him. It's another way of saying so that we might have eternal life. So that we might, as, as Jesus says, I think it's John 10, 10, that, that we might have life and have it to the full There's a double meaning there. He wants us to have eternal, never-ending life with him. And in the present, he wants us to have abundant life, full life, satisfying life. And then there's the passage that you know, well, this is a slightly different translation, but I think it's a little bit more accurate to what John's trying to say in his gospel in chapter 3. He says, verse 16 and 17, For God loved the world in this way. How does God love us? In this way. He gave his one and only son. That's Christmas. So that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, 
but to save the world through him. He puts together Christmas and Easter. For John, that you can't have one without the other. God sends his son into the world because he loves the world and his son then dives, dies on behalf of the world so that the world might be saved through him. So that the world might, lo- but might love and live through him. That's the whole, that's the big idea. And today there's going to be all kinds of things competing for your attention and competing for like the title of this is what Christmas is really about. And we were watching the carols last night and there are all kinds of statements made about this is what Christmas is about. This is the spirit of Christmas. This is the essence of Christmas. This is the message of Christmas. And for every hundred people living around us in Caroline Springs, you'll probably get a hundred different answers about what Christmas is essentially about. But here's, here's what I want you to know. At the very heart of it, from the very beginning of it, Christmas is about God's love for us. Who do I mean by us? I mean all of us. Whether this is your 53rd service of the year or maybe it's your first, God's love in the same measure is for all of us. Let me just finish with a couple of ideas about how we can take this love and redistribute it. Because love, God's love is unconditional and, um, and, and unending um, because it's, um, it can, it's inexhaustible, then it means that we can give out God's love and never be lacking in it for ourselves. He just continually pours it into us. So the second card we read from the box was, how has God provided for you and your family? How has he used you to provide for others? I want, to think, I, want to, I want us to think about just three things, three ways that we can, we can kind of cultivate love in our own hearts so that we can then pour out love into those around us, even the unlovable people. So I've got three ideas, all right? We'll just motor through these and, and then we'll sing another carol. So first of all, I think, and like, listen, this is not thus saith the Lord, right? This is not, I'm not reading scripture to you. These are just three ideas that came to me, okay? So take it or, or leave it or adjust it or add your own. But here's, here's three ideas. Every morning, take time to meditate on God's unconditional love for you. Meditate sounds like a very uh, ethereal, spiritual thing, but meditate just means to ruminate. You, you know what a ruminant is? It's a cow. It's, or it's any animal that chews, chews their food over and over and over and over again. It means to ruminate on. We often do this with worry, right? The thing just goes around your head a thousand times that you're concerned about you, we need to do it with God's love instead of whatever is concerning us to meditate means to chew 
So each morning, before you grab your phone and start doom scrolling through all of the stuff that makes you despair of life, scroll through, meditate on, ruminate on God's unconditional love for you. Not Santa's conditional love, but God's unconditional love for you. I think if we do that, then we'll have something that we can then give to others. If we don't do this, we end up pretty dry and and pretty incapable of giving anything to anyone else. All right, so second one. During the season, right, this is about experience. This, this Christmas season, this New Year season, you know, this whole time, end of year, um, restart into next year, ask God to increase your experience of hope, peace, joy, and love. Not just in your head. Not just, I heard a sermon and I had a few interesting ideas in it. But your experience. God is interested in the whole person, mind, soul, spirit, the whole person. So, not just thoughts about, but experience of hope and peace and joy and love. Aren't those four things that you want more of? Is there anyone alive today who doesn't want more? Hope, peace, joy, and love. I've heard 2022, I was listening to a a podcast last night as I was trying to get to sleep. And uh, just the fact that 2022 has been sort of declared by many people as the year of hopelessness, where we came to the conclusion that like, the world is stuffed and we can't do anything about it. We've tried all these different ways to fix the world and all of them have failed. And there's this sense globally about, of this kind of level of hopelessness. But that can't be true if anything that I've said is true. It can't be true if God has acted definitively in history to make a way for us to love him, receive his love, and live forever. That can't be true. As the angel said to Mary at the beginning of Luke's gospel, with God all things are possible. So even in the midst of the year of hopelessness or whatever it is, ask that he would increase your experience of hope, peace, joy, and love. And last of all, cultivating love in blessing. So at Christmas, God blesses an unlovable world. That's us. So next Sunday, we're not going to meet here. We're not going to have a public service. Every Sunday after Christmas, we take it off. We close the church and we encourage you to participate in what we call Shared Table Sunday. This is taking the Christmas message and putting it into action, receiving God's love even though we don't deserve it, and then opening our tables in blessing, particularly to those who might otherwise feel forgotten, overlooked, or unloved. People you know in our church, in your local communities and networks, family, neighbours, Who are the people that you can specifically invite, maybe along with some friends, to open your table and bless them? Shared Table Sunday, next Sunday, the 1st of January.
So, Christmas is God's great demonstration. Christmas and then Easter, God's twin demonstrations of how much he loves us. We're going to stand now. We're going to respond to good news of great joy for all people. We're going to sing another carol together. So please stand with me.